0: On Sagittarian Matters, we talk meditation, experimentation, money, relaxing into your practice, how to make friends, and more, with my very special guest, Yumi Sakugawa. Stay tuned. Matters, Sagittarian Matters. Sagitt- Yumi Sakugawa is a Sagittarius, first and foremost. She is also an Ignatz-nominated cartoonist, illustrator, and writer. Some of her books include I Think I Am In Friend Love With You, Your Illustrated Guide to Becoming One with the Universe, and There Is No Right Way to Meditate. Yumi lives in Los Angeles, and you can find a link to her October 20th webinar, How to Transmute Your Creative Blocks and Fears into Power and Joy, on Instagram.com slash Yumi Sakugawa. Now please enjoy my talk with Yumi Sakugawa. You're You're here on the podcast. We have almost too many things to talk about, I have to say. But the first thing I want to talk about, because it is October... And I was questioning you about ghosts. You may not have a ghost story, but maybe we could talk about shadow integration. Uh, What is your shadow
1: self? And what is shadow integration? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked me this, Nicole, because I love talking about the shadow. Um, I think the easiest way to imagine what shadow integration and shadows are is that your shadows are the misunderstood dark parts of your psyche and the easiest way to understand what your shadows are are things you don't like about yourself and also probably things that irritate annoy you about other people because mm. <laughs> it's triggering things you don't like about yourself uh or things that you judge in other people and i Love talking about the shadow because I feel like shadows are where your greatest powers are hidden. And so the more you dive deep into the dark parts of your psyche, obviously in a safe and grounded way, um, and if you need a therapist with the help of a therapist or a mental health professional, it is where your I believe your greatest liberation is held because if you are at peace with the things that scare you or make you the most uncomfortable about yourself, like the things that bring you the most shame or insecurity or fears, if you know how to sit with them, then you're invincible. And I think that's really awesome.
0: This is like your comic about having tea with your demons.
1: Yes. So I have a chapter in my book, your illustrated guide to becoming one with the universe. It's called have cake and tea with your demons, which was inspired by, I want to say there are parables in Buddhist cosmology about having tea with your demons. So being able to mindfully sit with your most difficult emotions with compassion and non-judgment and as somebody who's experienced a lot of depression and insecurities and social anxiety and self-critical thoughts I really find a lot of comfort in that concept and also it's also in reference to one of my favorite Rumi poems which is about treating all of your emotions even the most difficult ones as esteemed house guests who deserve a comfortable place to sit in your home and to offer them tea and attention so those are things that I think about a lot oh my god I love that can we talk about your trajectory because you're a
0: cartoonist and an illustrator and a writer I would say and because the cartoonists are all of these things yes uh How did you get to where you are? Because I feel like, am I correct that your work took a turn towards the kind of mindful practice? Like, I don't want to say self-help. Like, what's another word for saying self-help? That's like, I don't know. To me, it's educational,
1: healing. What else? Maybe (laughs) self-actualization. Self-actualization. Okay, that's much better. That's my very lofty description that i like so what do you what
0: would you say is your trajectory in your work from being what i'm assuming is a kid or a young person who enjoyed drawing and writing to
1: mm-hmm. being where you are now well i feel like i've just always assumed that i would be doing something creative with my life i never had a convincing plan b to fall back on in case my creative pursuits uh didn't work out. And so I've been writing and drawing my whole life. And as an undergrad in college, I was an art major. And I was also really involved in my school's collegiate Asian American theater group, where I did a lot of writing and acting and improv and performance. And also, I was really a prolific writer on my live journal and making drawings with my Sharpie ultra fine point pens. Oh my god. Um, and and so and also it was in college where I really started getting into indie comics and zines. And so I feel like I've just it's just always been natural for me to make my own work and share it online, whether it's through Live Journal or in high school in the school paper. And what got me into meditation was that. Well, to backtrack a little bit, I've always been really hugely into advice columns. Like, I loved reading Dear Abby. Me too. Yeah, I'm me not too. surprised. <laughs> I actually have that in my notes. We
0: both love advice. And now
1: yes, we- yes. Because I, I feel like there's just something so comfortable to me about the idea that any problem has this rational solution that just sort of doesn't necessarily make the problem go away but it empowers you with the right mindset to to face a problem with in the most smooth way possible and I think also as someone who's dealing with depression and anxiety and low self-esteem I was just really drawn to the idea of reading books to help improve your quality of living Um, but I just never considered that it would be a part of my creative practice until I moved to Japan after college to teach conversational English abroad and that was when my depression just really went to an all-time low and very serendipitously a colleague of mine introduced me to Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, which was all about mindfulness, and also I started listening to the audiobook version of David Lynch's book on creative practice and meditation, Catching the Big
0: Fish. Will you describe what happens in Catching the Big Fish, or what he talks about? Because I've listened, I remember listening to it, I remember
1: liking it, thinking it was too short, wanting more of it. So, David Lynch, he talks about how he used to be so unhappy But then meditation made him so happy. Like, he describes it as, it was like, in his David Lynch voice, he was like, it was like I was wearing this plastic clown suit and I was sweating. But then meditation, it's like I got to take off the clown suit. Oh, my God. Is that how you feel? Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like I just can't imagine having a creative practice without meditation now. And I meditate every day for 20 minutes every morning. It's like the first thing I do every morning. And I can't imagine not doing it. So I tell all cartoonists, I mean all humans to do it, but especially creative people. I think everyone should have a meditation practice, even if it's just for five minutes a day. It makes a big difference. Hmm. I love, I feel, I think of you as an evolved cartoonist because, and and we'll
0: get back to your trajectory, but I think of a lot of cartoonists as kind of martyrs because our Art form takes longer than a lot of other people's art forms, is and also considering like how long people spend on each page, and so there's this long line of cartoonists that are kind of in like into the suffering part of it, where they're like, and there's so many cartoons that have killed themselves, right. or you know, just like Wally Wood, and I'm teaching my students about Wally Wood, and then you're like, what happened to him? You're like, oh, he shot himself. Like oh. it's just like that kind of thing where you're like, look at this person's painstaking pages that took them tens of hours for each page. Um, But in your work, it feels like there's so much healing or balance and also freedom. It you know, I feel like within your work, I see freedom where, you know, your style goes back and forth and it's all, it seems, it doesn't seem wrought with stress and agony of being like, I have to, like Chris Ware's stuff Mm -hmm. makes me upset.
1: I feel anxious looking at his stuff and even I don't know like really technically proficient artists like say Adrian Tomine I just don't have the patience for that (laughs) and I'm perfectly okay with that
0: but do you remember in Optic Nerve sometimes he would have letters to the editor and some of them were really ripping in him like page five panel two you drew that guy's nose like shit or whatever and then i realized years later in an interview i was reading with him that he wrote some of those letters himself uh, like, What? the things that you say to yourself when you're making a page and you're like oh this will never fly this person's eyeball is too weird and then what? no one notices he would pull focus to that thing as a way to like self-flagellate in public so compared to that long line of cartoonists And cartoonists I love and some that give me anxiety. I feel that your work is evolved. Or you have a way of blending your spiritual practice with your creative practice that I really like.
1: Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate that because all that self-flagellation and pain, I'm just not into it, dude. Um, I think that's (laughs) like... I feel like that's... And I feel like that whole myth of, oh, all artists must suffer. You must suffer for your art. I feel like that's such... dumb machismo patriarchal construct that's like oh you have to earn pleasure and rest you're not worthy until you make this brilliant genius piece of work and i feel like no how about a more holistic feminine approach where Your most important work is to live a good life and to be a good person and to be happy, and your art can be a byproduct of that. And also, Nicole, I am like the laziest artist in the universe in the sense that I feel like I became a cartoonist. well i love the medium obviously but there's also a process of elimination where it was like well oil painting is so much work and i hate supplies big large supplies and so with cartooning i love that i can i mean so for example your illustrated guide to becoming one with the universe that was all drawn on cheap computer paper and i love that and now taking a step further i do all my drawings using an ipad and apple Pencil. Because I hate scanning um, and material stuff, and I'm fine now. I also have embraced the non-handwritten, type aesthetic because I enjoy that, and I I just don't believe in denying yourself a good life where you experience pleasure and rest and friendship and relationships and experiences outside of art making i just really don't believe in that i love that i'm loving everything
0: i'm hearing right now but can we go back to your trajectory yes. i'm bouncing back and forth so you went to japan you experienced some depression mm-hmm. you got into eckhart tolle and david lynch yes <laughs> <laughs> an unlikely pairing
1: Yes, unlikely pairing, but also weirdly similar. I I feel like both David Lynch and Eckhart Tolle have this almost pure innocence, even though their aesthetic outputs are very different. (laughs) Um, but, But yeah, I feel like in Japan, because I didn't have access to medication, therapy, a support network of friends, not to mention the stress Of living in another country and not knowing what to do with my life um, with an art degree, I feel like I just went into this really deep depression. And because I didn't have access to my usual resources, I threw myself into meditation. And I feel like that was the first time where I understood the concept that, oh, you are not your thoughts. You you're, you may have thoughts that are very self-deprecating, self-hating, self-punitive, but they are not the whole totality of your existence. Your beliefs create your reality. And so I feel like that was my first time beginning to understand that. And because that was such a turning point for me, I think that was when I started to incorporate meditation into my art. And I think for the longest time, I saw my meditation art to be kind of separate from my more narrative-driven comics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think unexpectedly for me, they just sort of became their own thing and took on a momentum of their own. And so now I feel really grateful that my meditation comics, they are just a part of my cosmology. And I'm really excited all the time to inspire people to meditate, to take better care of themselves, and to feel good about who they are as people
0: i think it for as as a man on the street reporting back to you i think it really works i mean there's so many people i know cartoonists and non-cartoonists alike that have encountered your work in different ways that are that really find a lot of solace and help in it
1: i'm so thankful for that because i i feel like as someone who used to have so much Insecurity and depression. I I'm just really grateful for anything I could do to help alleviate other people's suffering.
0: Now, one thing I'm so curious to hear your take on is how you negotiate phones and the internet, because I think the internet has been really helpful. Like, what's the, what's the role of the internet in your art, and then how do you make boundaries or stay present in your life while still? being active with your internet
1: accounts? So I love having specific chunks of time where I turn my phone off. And I also love working. I work at home primarily, and I really love working in cafes. Um, So something I do every morning is I purposefully go to a cafe without my phone and sometimes Mm -hmm. without my laptop. And it's just such... A big, important habit to have to not to have chunks of creative brainstorming time, creative production time, where my phone is just not around me. Um, and so, I love to be intentional about chunks of time where I'm just like, okay, there's no phone, and I'm not even going to think about checking my phone because it's physically not near me. That being said, I also have times when i i really love using instagram stories Mm -hmm. um i i went through a phase where for a good number of months up until recently where i was just not posting anything on any of my social media and maybe earlier this year i started posting more on insta stories and i found that i am weirdly self-conscious about posting a lot on say twitter or facebook Mm. but i think something about instagram stories because it's so contained and it disappears in 24 hours i kind of love that specific specificity of how that medium works where i kind of like the ephemeral nature of it where Mm. it kind of feels like i have my own private radio station channel the Umiverse channel to my brain. And people can just sort of catch a stream of it whenever they tune in. But there's not necessarily a public archive of everything I say mm-hmm. and write about. And so I, I've i been using my Instagram stories almost kind of like a digital sketchbook where I, I just go on these trains of thoughts, whether it's about mindfulness or self-care or dating, online dating or creative practice or asian american identity i just go on these rants and because it's not public and people aren't people don't really have the option to respond to it and i don't really check my dms from people i don't know that's been really creatively liberating to me actually and also Also, I don't know how long this policy will be in place, but for the time being, I am not active on my personal Facebook and also I'm not active on Twitter. Twitter gives me so much anxiety and I feel like I'm just at a point where Twitter gives me more anxiety than joy. So I'm just fine with not being active on Twitter for the time being.
0: Is it the anxiety of the things you read or the things that you say?
1: I think it's both. I feel like maybe I just put this weird pressure on myself to have a nuanced opinion on everything. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I feel like there's this weird FOMO of like, oh, I don't want to be the person who doesn't know what's happening and say the comics community or the books community or the general artist community or things in general or i don't want to be the asshole who's like posting about my art when maybe some natural disaster just occurred or some horrific thing that happened and i'm just sort of like not in the know and so i just feel like the real-time hyper interactive nature of twitter it's some people just have the knack for it and i just don't think i'm super compatible with the energetic properties of twitter so i'm fine with that for now i'm um, i don't, i don't
0: do that well at twitter i don't excel at twitter i read it a lot for news things and i go down k-holes in it like sometimes i'll delete instagram for my phone so that i can't mm-hmm. really look at it quite as easily i can't like soothe that sort of like pleasure button of, like, I'm bored. Let me look at Instagram. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I'll end up looking at Twitter. I'll go (laughs) to a web browser and look at Twitter because I don't have the Twitter app on my phone Ah. either. I know, it's kind of bad. But I'm not... I think I was kind of liberated at some point. I was listening to a podcast by a comedian I like, and she was like, no one's looking to me for political hot takes about major things that are happening in the news. She's like, I'm a comedian. I write for a TV show. I'm not an expert i'm not a journalist i'm not an expert he's like no one needs me to weigh in on like the person who died that day or like Mm -hmm. the major news thing and that kind of gave me some relief because i was like yeah you know what like i'm a cartoonist people are following on twitter it's not because of my political hot takes like they basically know where i stand on these things and every once in a while something egregious is happening i can speak out but in general people aren't like
1: nicole how should we take this news (laughs) i feel like i appreciate that sentiment so much and I agree with that. However, I am very neurotic. And I feel like I'm forgiving of other people. But for whatever reason, I place this impossible standard on myself that I can't get over. And I feel like also I see people who do it really well. Where they seem to just seamlessly incorporate Mm. their creative practice. And just sort of having this, I don't know, moment by moment nuanced smart take on things which i appreciate um so yeah twitter and i just have a complicated relationship and we're on a break
0: (laughs) today's episode is brought to you by shoshana ruth wector Michelle lemoyne Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Christy Harrod, Catherine Tice, Art Dogs, and Rachel Ann Jolie. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to... To saying your name on the podcast.
1: Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too.
0: Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. Another thing I like about your work is I feel like the question of there being a stigma around depression or anxiety, that question is not even really there. Because it just is like, this is a fact. This is a fact that people experience these feelings these, these things happening with their brains or with their lives. And so now let's just address them. And I think that's valuable. I just, I live in such an incubated space where everyone I know is in therapy or on meds or whatever. And then I've been places, like once I went to work in a small town somewhere and my boss was like, you know, I, I think it's cool that you told me you go to therapy. Like I don't judge you for that. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you judge me for that?
1: I'm judging you for not going to therapy. (laughs) I judge you for saying I don't judge you for that. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I, I made me realize I was like, "Oh yeah, out in the world, it's more of a stigma to I don't know, to to be honest about what's going on with you." And I feel like one thing I like about your work is how
1: honest it is. Yeah, I just I just feel like especially in my recent Insta story rants about dating, I feel like With dating and also relationships and the human condition in general, we place such high standards where it's like, oh, if you're having a hard time or you haven't figured your life out or you're not in the perfect relationship or you're not succeeding and being a mother or, or whatever it is, people are just so hard on themselves because there's this weird collective script of, oh, you should be having this, like, good life all the time, and I desire a world where whatever sadness or anxiety or insecurities you're going through, that's part of, that is a part of life, and people shouldn't feel judged or ashamed for going through hard times, and that's, that's the world I want to live in, and so I think, what I hope to offer through my art is this worldview where everyone just accepts that everyone goes through hard times and that's okay. It doesn't have to be this defect or problem we have to solve or some sort of flaw in your character.
0: Yeah. Hold on. I'm getting my notes. Have you, do you have any dating advice now that you're in the (laughs) online or do you follow any dating advice or online, specifically online dating advice?
1: Well, everyone says it's a numbers game. Um, And I've been on and off online dating. And and to give a little backstory, I ended a 10-year relationship two years ago. And so the last time I was single before this decades-long relationship... I feel like online dating was still in its infancy and Um. I didn't have a smartphone the last time I was single before this long-term relationship. And so I feel like, I feel like in the last year, this was really my first time online dating and it was just such a completely different context from when I was in my early twenties where oh, I'm a person with self-esteem now (laughs) as I'm dating with a concept. And and so I think my dating advice is to just recognize that a lot of our socially accepted paradigms around dating and relationships are so dumb. Like what? So dumb. (laughs) So... For example, I think with the process of online dating, it's like they're like job interviews, and there's nothing sexy about job interviews. And so, I'm very passively keeping my dating apps open, but at the same time, I really truly believe that if I'm ready for a relationship, the best thing i could do is to just live a good life where i'm really happy with myself i have friends i have an exciting creative practice i go to cool and interesting events i really feel like there's also there's there's online dating where you're dating in this very obvious way but i really truly believe that there's like energetic cosmic dating where it's like what's your energetic dating profile like yeah your dating profile may say xyz but energetically what are you putting out into the universe what do you mean (laughs) well i feel like Like good life seeks
0: same what was that good life seeks same good life seeks same yeah like you're you're you have a good life you're feeling energetically like nourished by your own life and you're seeking the same, somebody yeah. that has a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. I, I really believe well, I that's a big witchy principle that I really believe in. I think it's like as below, so above, as within, so in the outside, um, so without or or whatever that term went. But but basically what who you are on the inside is reflected out into what you perceive and experience in the world. And so I feel like the best dating strategy is, well, to circle back to shadow integration, I think it's like, well, take a look at your own emotional shit. (laughs) Like, what are your relationship patterns? What scares you about finding true love? Um, What are your hangups about love and sex and intimacy? And I think no matter where you are in life, you can practice with people in general. Just like being a good person, being present, being willing to connect and be vulnerable. And I feel like in doing that you're probably gonna meet a really cool person, whether or not you use dating apps. I truly believe in that. I I agree with you. There was a time in Portland where I didn't want to use
0: I had just gone through a big breakup and I didn't want to use an app to find someone, but I wanted to use an app to start a rumor about myself that I was single Ooh. just to get yeah. the word out in the community. So if somebody saw me at a party, the other people who knew me as someone who had been dating someone could be like, oh, I saw her on Tinder or my friends are. on. D- I think that you could go, you know, I think that maybe she's single. I was being very diabolical. I was being very methodical about it. I was like, okay. I was like, I don't necessarily want to swipe on every person in Portland, but I do want people to see that I'm out there.
1: Ready to mingle? I think that's why I have my dating apps too, Nicole. It's not so much that I want to be swiping on Tinder. It's it's more so it's sending that energetic signal that hey, I'm like super single. As in, I'm on three dating apps, single. So take note (laughs) of that world. Take note of that. I'm open.
0: Yes, (laughs) so open. Let's. I want to pivot from openness and dating apps to money and art.
1: Ooh. We are
0: sitting in the home of friend to the show Beth Pickens, who's a firm believer that you know, money doesn't necessarily follow talent, there's not a correlation. There's not a direct correlation and that artists deserve to get paid for their work. and that even if somebody has a job that looks really fun from the outside, they still deserve to get paid for that job it's not just like "Hee hee, i'm having so much fun here have it
1: for free i'm so lucky no fuck that yeah yeah i'm so excited to meet beth pickens because i follow her on instagram and i agree with so many things that she says and i feel like artists should not undervalue their work artists should get paid and i feel like Artists are creators and I also believe that I I personally have a holistic view of creativity where I don't think it's just about the medium. I don't think it's just about drawing, painting, writing, making a movie. I really believe all creativity comes down to destroying old patterns to create new ones. So disrupting old patterns to create new ones and so... You can be starting a business or teaching in a classroom or even the way you conduct um, the way you see patients in a doctor's office. Those can also be creative practices. And so we need those productive disruptors in all fields. And so what I want to tell artists and creatives who are listening to the show is that your creativity is not just the the obvious and... Um, tangible medium that you do it's also how you see the world it's also how you connect with people it's also the energetic effect that you have on readers and so i had to deal with so much internalized money narratives around being a starving artist creatives don't make money and a book i really recommend is you are a badass at making money by Mm -hmm. jen sincero who was a former I want to say she was a musician in a band and she was broke as a joke until well into her 40s and now she's a mega successful life coach and published author Mm -hmm. but that's an audiobook I listened to like five times and I read the IRL book once and I feel like after being exposed to her principles again and again I feel like I finally get it wow yeah what can you tell us from this book so, so going back to shadow integration, um, are hitting it's, that. This is great. I know. Halloween. Call, call back, call back. Your inner demons. Um, it's just so important to excavate all your stories about money. What are all your perceived biases around money? Like, oh, um, if I become rich, people are going to hate me. Or if I become rich, I'm a sellout. Or um, money is scary because it can break apart relationships. So I think it's just so important to excavate all your money stories, all your money shame. Because maybe subconsciously, you don't want to make money. You're scared of making money, becoming a person who makes money. And that's why you attract these self-sabotaging, scarcity-based situations where you're always on the verge of not paying rent or you're always struggling to make ends meet. Um, And certainly there are um, structural um, oppressions that keep certain groups and classes of people at a lower poverty line and so acknowledging that certainly those exist and also in tandem with that it's really going deep into your own internalized shit (laughs) and just being like whoa these are the things that are driving my money spending and saving habits and from there consciously deciding okay this is how i want to feel about money instead instead of subliminally following the narratives that were given to you maybe from your parents or from um peers you grew up with or society in general to to really deprogram so that you can choose your own money narrative and the healthy and conscious relationship that you want with money instead
0: Mm, i love that and part of that as an artist is demanding more for your more money for your work or charging for things If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. A turn I've seen some of your work make is recently you've been talking a lot about Um, making bad art
1: yeah experimenting with art can you can you talk about that oh my gosh yes Nicole I can so I feel like I go through these phases where I don't like drawing and I feel like I just have this really neurotic hang up in my head that Oh, I'm a better writer than I am a drawer. Untrue. <laughs> no, Thank you. And so I feel like I still have these weird hangups about drawing. And I've what's been really helpful for my creative practice is to focus on quantity over quality. And that's an advice I give a lot to creatives who ask me for advice. So for example i've made a recent commitment to go back to drawing one new drawing a day and posting that on instagram and i just love that anchoring practice of okay it doesn't have to be the best drawing in the universe i just have to make one new drawing a day and so i feel like when i focus on the quantity of my creative output rather than the quote-unquote quality whatever that even means then that just frees me to be more experimental and playful and weird. And I also, also when I'm working on projects and there's different phases of it, the thing that helps me is to tell myself, okay, just make a really terrible version of it and go from there. Because I found that when you accept preemptively that your first attempts at something are not gonna be the best, aren't gonna be bad, then that takes away so much pressure from the creative practice. Where I don't know, I feel like when I was a kid, I had this weird pressure on myself that oh, if you're a good artist, then it should come naturally to you. It just flows out of you. And
0: also, you should never have to look at anything to know what it looks like. You should just know what it
1: looks like, right? Exactly. That's- what did people do before Google Images? I don't know.
0: Well, but you have to have the.
1: You'd have to like go to the place with your film camera
0: and, like, you would have to travel there and take pictures or have the thing sit really still.
1: Yeah, um, I don't have time for that. I'm so glad I chose to be born in this internet age. (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? We are talking about... um, Oh, yeah, bad art mm -hmm. quantity. Um, I just feel like... And also, I feel like as creatives you can never get too comfortable in your creative practice and so i feel like when you're always allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and make mistakes and not be good at things that's how you're constantly evolving because you're constantly trying new things and so i feel like the emphasis should be on experimentation and play Mm -hmm. not so much making perfect polished forms because i feel like that's where you get to make exciting discoveries about yourself and the creative practice and that's where your art can continue to grow in these new and unexpected directions and that's what's going to make the experience of experiencing your art more interesting to your readers and viewers
0: because you you can feel that spontaneity and you can feel like i was saying about your art it's I don't know. I feel like I can feel when people are putting their neuroses and anxiety into their art in the way like a Chris Ware kind of way, where I just can tell that that art included some suffering yeah, that is transmitting to me. Totally. Whereas when something is made in a spontaneous way or seems like it was a pleasure to draw or was fun or feels a little free, I feel good about it. Um, Eleanor Davis has been on the podcast, and then I've had this conversation with Sam Alden, but both of those people drew in a really tight way. Um, Eleanor graduated art school, had had a two or three book deal to do this like kids graphic novel series, did one of them and decided that she hated, she just hated it. So she bailed out of the other two books and she left for a year and just worked at a grocery store so she could make her art without the stress of her finances being attached to it and she found an entirely new style that's her style that we know now
1: that's
0: amazing i didn't know this backstory i was so cool sam alden has a similar one where he wrote a whole graphic novel and the drawings are as tight as craig thompson's because that's who he was kind of modeling himself after Mm -hmm. and he shell he like basically threw away the whole thing because he realized he hated it and then he went back to the drawing board literally and came back with this different style that's his style now and I find I feel like I'm not there yet I feel like I'm on the edge of that cliff Mm. of being like what if I just what if I just toss it all away and come back with like a new style that makes me feel better so this is very this new experimentation and like the ability to fail or not fail you know or just like going out there and making art that may or may not be the thing that you used to think was good art is really exciting to me
1: yeah i feel like people should always be experimenting and have a rock star fuck it let's just see what happens attitude which is very sagittarian of me to say <laughs> sagittarian matters but then you're a virgo so you're like all right time to sit
0: down and do your drawing for the day. right but also
1: <laughs> with like structure and regimen and turning your phone off do you have any advice for young artists just general advice in any way shape or form I do. So my number one advice is definitely meditate. My number two advice is you should do the morning pages every day, which is a ritual prescribed by Julia Cameron, the author of The Artist's Way. And she religiously recommends that you should do three notebook pages of stream of conscious writing every day. And I also do that every day religiously. Mm. And I think that's just such a great way to clear your channels. Um, I also, like I mentioned before, I think you should have a creative practice that incorporates some kind of daily quantity benchmark. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's one drawing a day, um, one poem a day, one um, one page of writing a day, something that is a daily quantity that you just absolutely have to hit, or, or maybe it's a time-based quantity, one hour of writing, um, two hours of writing, 30 minutes of drawing, whatever it is, have a daily quantity that you have to accomplish and also finish what you start, <laughs> Which is the easiest advice, but the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And also, you do not have to go through your creative journey alone.
0: Definitely
1: have community. Find who your artist friends and community people are. And be active in those communities, whether it's online or IRL or both.
0: I have to say, when you find those communities, to, to get a friend, be a friend. So if there's people that you want to be in your, your artistic community, reach out to them. What can you offer them as a friend? Like, you know, is it you inviting them to do something nice? Like, what is it? Like, if, if people aren't reaching out to you and clamoring at your door, it's okay for you to do some knocking on theirs. I feel like people always ask the podcast, how do I make friends? That's a frequently asked advice Aww, question.
1: Oh, I have I have thoughts on that. Please tell me. Well, first of all, I will say that it took me a really long time to feel like um, after college that, oh, I have a tight friend crew, a tight write or die friend crew. And that just took me a really long time, especially in Los Angeles. And I think in a lot of big cities or anywhere, really, it it just takes time to find that friend group that feels really solid and safe. Especially in your 20s when everyone's just going through relationships or career changes or soul searching or just figuring out who they are. Also note that it's totally normal, especially in your 20s, that maybe it's hard to find friends. I know for myself in my 20s, I feel like I just went through so many friend groups and friend combinations before I feel like. I have a really solid constellation of friends. And also, I feel like I didn't really have a solid grasp on what it means to be a really good friend until I really delved deep into my own self-love and really being the best friend to myself.
0: What do you think makes a good friend? I have some thoughts on this too.
1: I really believe you have to have a really solid relationship with yourself because otherwise you're placing the responsibility of validation and affirmation and feeling worthy on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like you have to be really solid in knowing how to care for yourself, respect yourself, love yourself, because how you treat yourself is a direct reflection of how you treat others. So you got to be your number one advocate because then that's how you know how to set boundaries. That's how you know how to know who the good people in your own lives are. And that's how you don't tolerate shitty situations. I'm going to show you something really quick. I have to do something for my friend.
0: Okay. I want to see
1: this.
0: My friend, Ponyo, has been trying to get this blanket to come down so she can nest in it. And she's just gonna lay underneath the blanket, but she doesn't have a poseable thumb, so she's been using her nose while you've been talking about being a good Poor baby, and
1: Life that's
0: is hard. Now she's completely under the blanket. I love it. I really, I, I, I definitely believe that about being good with yourself, and I always think, um, you know, if your own well is full, then you don't have anything to give anybody else. So you need to make sure you're, like, you know, putting your own oxygen mask on first. Absolutely. So then you can actually be present with your friends and not be resentful. Like, I really, I've, I love I love being a good friend. It's important to me. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm the best friend in the world, but I'm saying I, it's important to me to do the things that I think of as being a good friend. And I get a little stressed out when I can't which is my own personal situation mm-hmm. uh shadow self situation where i'm like <laughs> i had a therapist for that i was like why is that thing making you so upset i was like because i want to be a good friend and i didn't know how to do it in this situation and, oh. oh no nicole be <laughs> kinder to yourself thank you i will, I will. I'm, I'm sitting i'm sitting with that demon being like okay it's okay that's you know it's one of those i heard before i don't know how to say the second part of this without it sounding like a weird negative spin but somebody said like Your personality defects are basically your character assets gone out of whack. So like something good about you that just is like out of out of whack, out of sync, like out of balance.
1: That makes sense. I feel like I could definitely relate to that as a self-help lover and self-help author where I have to rein in my desire to fix everybody i love giving unsolicited advice and when i see people going through a hard time my initial instinct is to like offer them all the tools and resources that's available to to help them get better because i know the feeling of feeling stuck and feeling depressed and going through a hard time and i know how good it feels to get out of that and so sometimes i have to consciously be like okay that person's situation it's not your responsibility to fix you just gotta stay in your own lane for this one and it's okay so i can relate I
0: have, I have this image in my head when you say that of like a depressed person make like, undepressed, and you're like, oh, here's some tools, and you're throwing, and they're just falling. at the person's like the person's like their arms aren't even going up to catch them, they're just like, uh, and here's like here's another tool, here's another yeah, tool, that's totally <laughs> And The tools are like ricocheting off them, and they're like, ouch, yeah, yeah. Like, but someday, someday they might be like, oh, oh, pick this one. Oh, okay, this one looks pretty good.
1: Right, and it's not my decision to make when they decide to pick up that book, whether it comes from me or for somebody else. That's totally out of my control, and I have to respect that.
0: Yeah.
1: But for me being a good friend, I should say, because I moved to Portland
0: from Kansas City when I was young, and in Kansas City it's one of those places where there's so few subculture people that the people that have something in common with you, those are your friends. Mm -hmm. And you don't actually get to choose based on their personality type. It's just that you're into the same things. And so moving to Portland, I was like, oh, it's a big city and I get to choose my friends. And there's so many subculture people that it's, I don't just automatically have, because there's so many people. So Mm -hmm. I don't automatically have friends, but we just automatically started hosting people like having Scrabble night, having a party, having whatever. And I really feel like putting yourself out there and giving people a reason to come around you, whether that's, you know, I've done it both ways right import my friends i'm like let me invite you over mm-hmm. or i export myself i'm like i'm gonna volunteer at a place mm-hmm. and you'll meet people either way and they may not be the people that are stuck to you forever in like a soul way but it'll you get in the practice of putting yourself out there as a friend or as a potential human being who wants to know other human
1: beings yes and also i think you should do a self-assessment of what is the net energetic value you or net energetic effect you have on people is it a negative or a positive (laughs) where i feel like i i'm not saying that because i also roll my eyes when on dating profiles people are like oh good vibes only um where it's like well people have all kinds of vibes that's just being human but i also understand what they're saying where i think I don't think people mean, oh, be happy and cool and chill all the time. I think just what do you skewer towards? Do you skewer towards speaking good of people or talking shit? Do you skewer towards seeing the best in situations or complaining about everything? And I just find in general that if you know how to have a net energetic effect of making people feel good when they're around you then you're very likely going to be able to make friends no matter what situation you're in and if you tend to skewer towards complaining a lot and being negative then you're probably not going to have an easy time finding friends and so i think it's also just being really honest about what are your patterns around people and relationships Mm. and being open to growing into becoming something healthier, mm-hmm. which which all of us can always be doing. Yeah. I wanted to segue to our last topic,
0: which is your webinars. Uh-huh. If people are into you and people are into your books and into your Instagram page and they want more of you and they want a guided version of these things... You do have a webinar coming up called I do. How to Transmute Your Creative Blocks and Fears into Power and Joy. <laughs> it's October 20th from 2 to 4 p.m.
1: What else can you tell me about these webinars? I will say that, well, first of all, thank you for reading my titles in such a dramatic way because I love titles with zero <laughs> chill. <And> um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, we could do Power and Joy. Yes. Um... So for people who haven't taken a virtual webinar before, please know that don't sweat it if you can't make it to the exact time because if you register for the webinar, whether or not you make it to the live broadcast time, you do get unlimited replay access, which you can play again and again anytime at your own comfort, anywhere with internet. Um, The other thing is that I really believe that just as how we have subliminal blocks around making money or finding love or making friends i think it's so important to dive deep into your creative blocks and what they're protecting you from Mm -hmm. i have a theory that creative blocks and blocks in general they're misguided self-love they're trying to protect you from something Mm. and the more we are attuned with why our creative blocks exist and what exactly we're afraid of the more we're empowered with the agency and autonomy to realign our self-loving intentions into something healthier that advocates for our greater growth rather than overly protecting us to the point of shrinking ourselves.
0: Oh my god. This is going to be a great webinar. I agree. I'm excited for people. Um and you have these on the regular?
1: Yes, I've committed to doing one new webinar a month, at least one new webinar a month, and I'm also committed to regularly facilitating workshops and webinars for Asian American creative women and femmes, how can they find out about these so instagram is the easiest way to find my latest stuff because i'm really lazy about updating my website and sending out my email newsletter
0: (laughs) Um, so just come
1: to my instagram and that's where i have the most updated information and um yeah usually the link to my bio on my instagram profile that will take you to the latest webinar happening
0: you have you have a new fan right now. His name is Sammy. Hi, Sammy. He's been a production intern this You're month. So cute. He belongs to Beth Pickens, and he's just trying to learn the trade.
1: He's trying to learn how to shadow integrate.
0: He's so like, I'm really interested in shadow integration. I had a very hard puppyhood, so there's a lot of things in my past that keep coming up.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he had
0: a really hard time. He. Last year at this time, we had um, a dog seance. And even though he's alive, his voice was part of the podcast. Oh,
1: my gosh. That's amazing. I know.
0: Um, I think that's it. Yumi Sakugawa, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Nicole. Sagittarius cartoonists for life. For
0: life. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.